the pride of Limerick, the young man named Sean Sheehan. The MMA media, Don Graham McDonald. The severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot, and I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Welcome everybody, it's episode 128 of the Severe MMA podcast. We have a little bit of a change up again this week. My co-host for the time while Jeremy Botter, or for while Jeremy Botter, while Graham was away, was Jeremy Botter, but that idiot got caught up <laughs> in an electrical storm. His electricity is out. So we brought in a, a replacement, and to be honest, it's better than Jeremy Botter, it's better than Graham as well. Veteran MMA reporter from all the big sides down through the years, Damon Martin. Damon, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me join the show. I appreciate it. It's great to have you. I know, as I said, it's, it's definitely an upgrade from Bother anyway. I suppose could could couldn't got really any worse than Bother really. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, <laughs> it's it's a big week. Uh, I suppose well, not a big week for MMA, but there's a lot of, a lot of MMA news around the place with with Pauli Malinagi and UFC Mexico and so we're doing a lot of questions this week. So we'll definitely get into them. Before we do that, let me just give a shout out to our sponsor for this week. It's uh, John Sheen from John Sports Rats. No relation. Uh, John is uh, an, an illustrator. Does great work with uh mma soccer all all different things like that uh he's worked for air sport bt sports uh bleacher report uh, the bundesliga and different things like that um head on over uh to john's website it's john-sportstraits.com follow him on twitter john sportstraits and follow him on instagram as well john sportstraits that's j-o-h-n-s-p-o-r-t-r-a-i-t-s you know, he does all good stuff. You see, you've probably seen my uh, my man cave with the the MVP and the Wonder Boy Thompson illustrations and those sort of things. So head on over there, as I said, John Sportsstreets dot com. Check out his stuff. Support him. He's a friend of the podcast and all that good stuff. That's it. Right. Let's get into it, and we we'll start off first of all with a with a couple of questions. And our first question today comes from a man called Kieran Sheehan, who again is no relation. And his uh, his question is: Do you think McGregor's camp didn't give Polly enough respect and credit for helping them out, or was it blown out uh, all out of proportion by the media and stuff? Let's just kind of a, a wider kind of discussion on this. Damon, what was what was your whole take? I know there was a you know a, a lot of things came out this week. McGregor released those those photos. Then Polly Malinagi kind of hit back, and then he ended up walking away from from the uh, f- you know from the from the camp. What, what was your take on the whole thing? You know, you know, it's interesting because you know usually you know it's kind of two sides of this whole thing because usually what happens in the gym is supposed to stay in the gym, whether it's good or bad. You're supposed to not really talk about sparring or you know things like that. And uh, you know, so when when Connor put out the photos and there was a certain narrative being painted, you immediately kind of got the idea of a story being told. But then you had to realize Paulie was out there doing interviews and he's saying things like. Connor has above average power, but he doesn't have oh my god power and things like that. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing where I think both sides probably have a little bit of fault to take in this whole situation. I think uh, from what I've heard, you know, Connor put the photos out or people from his camp put the photos out in response to Paulie's interviews. Uh, so it's kind of like you know it's you know what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know who's really to blame for this whole thing? I think you know for Paulie, you know when you go in and you're a paid sparring partner, you're planning to be paid as a sparring partner. You're not really supposed to talk about the sparring sessions at all. You don't really hear Floyd Mayweather's sparring partners coming out and saying, "Yeah, I caught him with a good punch," and he doesn't really have good power. So I think in a way. Paulie has to take part of the blame for this whole thing. And if you really think about it, Connor really hasn't said much of anything. He put out the photos. Uh, he made a comment on All Access last Friday where he said, you know, he got 
got he got his ass whooped, but that was from the first sparring session. That's not even covering what happened recently. So, you know, both guys probably got to take a little bit of the blame, but I think a, a little bit, just a little bit, maybe more on Paulie because he did start talking about it, you know, started doing interviews talking about it when maybe he shouldn't have. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think, as you said there, I, I heard the exact same thing, that McGregor put out those photos in response to the interviews. Now, people are saying uh, the interviews, you know, he didn't really say much in the interviews. He was complimentary and things. But as you said, the oh, my God, power things. He's come out and said since that, you know, the body shots and things where he talked about ethics. He tweeted a couple of weeks ago that... um he'd have no problem with McGregor releasing photos and things of the camp. So, you know, you can understand it. Look, you can definitely understand it from Paulie's point of view uh, why when McGregor released photos of him looking bad that he didn't like it because, as you said, and I think everyone would agree that, you know, what's kept in sparring, what happens in sparring should be kept in sparring. Um, But from what I've been hearing, I think this all kind of stemmed from what actually happened in sparring and Paulie not being too happy with the way things went you know there's been a lot of rumors Paulie come out and said he he whooped McGregor's ass McGregor said the same from what I've heard I heard McGregor got the better of it in almost every aspect of it and was you know Paulie didn't take it that well that's what I heard now uh, you know whether you want to believe that or not but that's what I heard from from uh, you know from people close to it the knockdown as well that was that was a big bone of contention and from what I heard, it was a knockdown. It wasn't a push that he McGregor hit him with a four punch combination, put him on the ground, and you know that was it. And Polly kept out and called it a push down when it when it actually wasn't. So, look, things I suppose they've they've created a hype for the for the fight. They've cre- created a, a Malinagi uh, McGregor kind of hype now as well, and and you know it, it's all kind of boiling over, but. Look, I, I think McGregor had kind of no problem with him. He want you know, all's fair and love and war kind of a thing. And, you know, they were working together. But another point of it as well is Paulie, I think, was coming into camp and he did an interview here in Ireland. I think it was with, with Off the Ball where he said um, he wanted to come into camp, you know, do, do his sparring, obviously, but then give McGregor, you know, pointers, maybe a little bit of coaching role as well. But I don't think that was happening. You know, I think he McGregor just wanted him as as a sparring partner or nothing more. Paulie's come out since and said, you know, he's uh, has all these yes men with him, and maybe he's a little bit hurt by that as well. That he, you know, he thought maybe this was a road into maybe coaching or something like that, uh, and that didn't just happen. But you know, those are the kind of things I've been hearing as well. You know, you're going to hear a lot of stories, I suppose. But uh, you know, it, you know, there's there's definitely been a breakdown in communications uh, as part of it anyway. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, like I said, both sides have to take a little bit of the blame. I mean, you can't just say Connor's completely blameless in this whole thing. You know, like I said, what happens in the gym is supposed to stay in the gym. Everyone famously remembers Michael Bisping joking after he sparred with Luke Rockhold that he was the unofficial Strike Force middleweight champion. I mean, it was a funny comment. We all kind of laughed about it. But then that became a big point of contention when they had their fight, their original fight because you know it kind of pissed off Rockhold that even brought it up because he kind of went in there as a favor to Michael Bisping you know and so it's kind of like that it's like you know where where do you draw the line you know and I think that uh you know as I said I you know Paulie Paulie's retired uh you know he's doing the analyst thing he does a phenomenal job at that but let's be honest he's getting the spotlight more now that he's probably had since boxing and maybe even more than he got during his boxing career. So I understand you got to parlay that. You got to take advantage of that. He has his own podcast now. He's teasing about talking about the 
podcast, and I'm quite sure that'll be the most listened episode he's ever had. Uh, I, I, I get it. I don't fault him for that, but I think sometimes you got to weigh the good and the bad. It's like, you know, do you want to, you know, I mean, I guess here's here's the other thing I would think about this. When this whole situation kind of came up, one thing I thought about the situation that kind of you know, occurred to me the other day, and I said this to somebody, if Paulie had gone in and sparred Floyd Mayweather, and let's say Floyd put out those same pictures and said the exact same thing, really didn't say anything, but put out the same pictures and things like that with Paulie, do you think Paulie would have been as angry? And I say no, because it's okay to get beat up by one of the greatest boxers of all time, but Paulie can't put the picture out there that he's losing to an MMA guy with no you know, no boxing experience. I think that the ego part of it, and I'm not blaming him. I get it. I'm not blaming him. I'm saying, I think that's part of it as well. Because if you think about that, if he got, if he had a big sparring session with Floyd and Floyd put it out there, I guarantee you the narrative would be different. I think Paulie would be saying, man, you know, it was a tough session and we had some good throws and, you know, Floyd's the greatest man. You know I mean? He's the greatest of all time, but because it's Floyd, because it's Connor, because it's a UFC guy and a guy that he literally said, you know, seven, eight months ago, had no business whatsoever being in the ring with Mayweather. You can't lose face in that situation. So I think at least a little bit of that played into it. Yeah, 100%. I, I think you've really hit on the, the crux of the whole thing here. There. I, I, I definitely think that's where it stems from. You know, Paulie said he did an interview, I think, with, with Sky Sports and he did one in America as well, where he said, you know, the cameraman here would, would beat up Conor McGregor and Conor said he'd have to answer for that. And a lot of people, me included, were talking about it was like, you know, this maybe it's a good sparring partner. You know, Paul Melanagy, two-time world champion. Now he isn't what he used to be. He got beat by Sam Eggington in his last fight. Definitely isn't what he used to be. But like a lot of people thought that Melanagy was going to go in there and maybe, maybe not have his way with McGregor, but definitely be, you know, a good test uh, for going in to, uh, to step up against Fly Mayweather. But it doesn't look like it happened that way. And like... That the thing about this is as well that, and a lot of people have been saying that you know the, the odds have even gone down again since this. And it, you know, as I said, there, Polly Malinaji isn't what he used to be, and he definitely isn't uh, Floyd Mayweather. Like, even if he, you know, if he went in and sparred Malinaji five times and knocked him out five times, that still doesn't mean he's going to get near you know Mayweather. And I think it's important as well to you know to to split up those two points that okay. I think most people now would agree, everyone in the know anyway, that McGregor definitely got the better of Malinaji in, in the sparring. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's going to get the better of, uh, you know, of Fly Mayweather. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing you know, about this whole thing. I mean, even, let's just say he went out there and he beat up Paulie Malinaji for 12 rounds and he knocked him down, he hurt him, whatever else. And, you know, you saw the after effects on the face and things like that. Like I said, great. He's not Floyd Mayweather. So, you know, I mean, it's a sparring session. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm quite sure they were throwing punches. I'm quite sure they were really going for it. And, you know, the tension was there, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still sparring. They're wearing headgear. They're wearing bigger gloves. I mean, they're, you know, they're wearing all this protective gear. None of this, none of that. Like I said, I've heard stories for years about guys who just absolutely murdered people in the gym and then they couldn't quite produce that same performance on fight night and then vice versa. Guys who look terrible in the gym and then come fight night, they just turn it on. They have that switch that they turn on. So this is all it really comes down. All this really boils down to is attention. You know, people are talking about Mayweather McGregor because they're not, they're not really doing a lot of interviews you know, for obvious reasons, probably till fight week. So this is just a way to continue to build the buzz for the fight. Not that it necessarily needs it, but it's just a way to keep everyone talking about Mayweather McGregor. And uh, and if anything, and somebody suggested this to me earlier, and I truly believe this, if anything, let's say Connor goes out there and loses 
to Floyd Mayweather, but he puts up a good fight. He lasts 12 rounds, whatever, and he can say, well, it's my first boxing match. He's already set up another fight with Pauli yeah. Malinaji. I mean, he's already set this up, and it, would be, it wouldn't be as big as, as Floyd. We know that, but it would still be big. I mean, Connor is, you know, the biggest draw in combat sports today, and, and this whole rivalry of Pauli Malinaji would absolutely parlay into, into a big payday for both guys. So if nothing else, they may be the smartest guys in the room when this whole thing plays out. Yeah, 100%. That, I think that was kind of the first thing a lot of people talked about when this all went down. You know, that tension has been building and building all the time. You know, they went in, obviously had the spars, and that, that definitely could be it. Like, I did, um, you know, a bother did a, an article there maybe a couple of months ago, and myself and a couple more, the, the Irish journalists, uh, you know, chimed in on it, and it was about whether McGregor would come back and, to MMA again, but would ever fight again. And I think, you know, we most of us kind of said, you know, he could if he wanted to, but will he need to? And, uh, you know, I think we all agreed maybe, maybe not, but McGregor is a, you know, he's an athletic beast. He's a, he's a competitor. He always is. And, and that could drive him back. Like, this is something that could drive him back into boxing. And I think a big part of the fact if he's coming back or not after this fight is whether he can get a fight that will draw enough. And as you said, like this rivalry now is inbuilt, you know, it, it's just happened. It's bigger than anything. Maybe I know you're a big proponent of the Nate Diaz fight being, uh, being probably the one if he comes back to MMA, but it, you know, we, we've heard rumors of Zufa boxing. We saw Dana White wearing, wearing the t-shirt, uh, you know, that, that definitely, it could be an option to fight Pony Malinaji, something that could draw, you know, you, you say if he goes back and fights Habib or, or, or Tony Ferguson, are they going to draw as much as a, a Pauli Malinaji fight against someone who he knows he, you know, he could probably beat in, in boxing and set up even bigger boxing matches then? You know, that, that, that's a very interesting thought, I, I think, going forward. But um, look, we, we'll move on to the next question. We, we'll probably have a few more questions about that. Uh, and the next couple here, Alan AJK Dublin asks about, you know, perceived bad cards turning into good cards. And Gavin Spring about, asks about Rashad Evans. So let's get into... Um, to UFC Mexico for, for a little bit here. And what do you think of, of Rashad Evans? You know, he obviously fought Sam Alvey, lost by a split decision. Uh, I, I had Alvey winning that fight as well. Do you, do you think this should be the end of the line for Rashad Evans? You know, it's weird because Rashad's not having the kind of performances like Chuck Liddell did at the end of his career where he's yeah. getting knocked out. And you really start to worry about the guy's health and safety where you're just like, I don't want to see the guy get hurt anymore. I mean, I said that for years about Ken Shamrock as well. And obviously he kept fighting, but I said, you know, I'm not saying he should retire because he's not good. I'm saying, I don't want to, I don't want to see him take any more damage. Uh, and that's not the case with Rashad. He's not really taking damage. The, the problem is he's just not really doing anything. I mean, he had a, a very lack, you know, just a very lacking performance against, uh, you know, in his last fight, you know, against old dad bod. And then in this fight, you know, against Sam Alvey, you know, he did look a little bit better with the takedowns and, and some of the things he was trying to do. But it just, you know, nothing really paid off. He got a little gas and I don't Oh, I, I'm not. I, I never want to be one of those guys that tells a person to, to retire unless it's a, unless it's a situation where his body is taking a lot of damage or his mind, I guess, his brain is taking a lot of damage. And that's not really the case of Rashad Evans' situation. He just can't seem to pull the trigger like he used to. So I'm not going to say it's the end of the road for him. Maybe he gets one more fight, and and then that's just do or die. And maybe he has just that kind of come to Jesus meeting with Dana where he says, you know, if you don't win this next one and look good, you know, we're not going to be able to keep you. Uh, Cause I'm quite sure Rashad is getting paid very well as, you know, also, I mean, that's gotta be a factor. He's getting paid a lot of money and he's going out there and kind of having these bad fights. So I'm not going to call for the guy to retire because, 
because he's not losing dramatically. He's just not looking good, and that's that's bad. But but again, I'm not worried about his health and safety. I'm just trying to figure out what happened. Why why is Rashad so trigger shy? Why is he so you know so reluctant to actually engage in a fight these days? Yeah, there's one thing about Rashad, and it's funny. I was I was actually listening to a golf podcast last night, and they were talking about uh, David Duval who won, won a major, I think it was the uh, the British Open, and then for like the next 100 events, he missed like 75 cuts in a row, and just, he got to the top of the game, and then he had kind of, as you said, that kind of come to Jesus moment, that this isn't what I expected it to be, you know, this I thought this was going to make my life, it was going to be the best ever, and it just hit me in my head, Rashad Evans said the same thing, when he won the title, he was like, you know, you, you think your life is going to change, but he said, uh, you know, the, the Sunday morning, the Monday morning after that, he was just the same old Rashad Evans. You know, there wasn't paparazzi showing up to his door. You know, his life wasn't changing. He's, you know, he still had the same amount of money, a little bit more than he had, uh, you know, afterwards. And ever like since then, you know, he he obviously, you know, he he won four or five fights as well after that. But coming in against John Jones, maybe that was the moment where you know he realized maybe he wasn't getting back to the UFC title uh, when John Jones was there, and you know it's kind of been just downhill after what his last six of his last eight and I, I don't know when you get to the top of the game you know we've seen it with a lot of guys we saw it with Johnny Hendricks as well just has never been the same you know since since he won the title and then obviously he lost it again and I think Rashad Evans you know even though that you know he had a great fight against um, Rampage Jackson and against Phil Davis as well even after he lost the title but I don't know, since he's, you know, since he lost to John Jones, since he's gone out of the title picture, it just seems to have drained away from him. And I totally agree with what you said there. Like, Rashad doesn't seem to have lost his athletic ability or his, you know, his power or anything like that. He just kind of can't pull the trigger. He just, he can't do the things he used to be good at. And I, I think there's a little bit of, it's a mental thing as well, but I think the game might have passed him by a little bit as well. You know, he's doing it for a long time. I think I said it on Twitter the other day, 12 years since he won... Uh, tough and you know you know we know how much this game moves on in 12 years and there's very very few guys who are able to keep up with the game you know and their body can keep up with making those advances as well you know we we know Rashad has had uh, a lot of injury problems after that Chael Sonnen fight well it was almost two years before he fought uh, Ryan Bader between 2013-2015 you know that's that's a huge thing and, and he hasn't won a fight since that so you know I, I think that's that's a lot of it but I think you probably agree with me. He deserves one more fight. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I and the thing is, and you know, maybe it's a little bit of personal bias because I really like Rashad. He's a good guy, uh, you know, and he's been a great, you know, great guy for the sport. Well spoken, and and he's been involved in some pretty epic rivalries. I mean, he was the first, you know, great rivalry for John Jones, and and you know, obviously the rivalry with Rampage Jackson, and I, you know, like I said, I think there's got to be some sort of you know mental block or something that's happening with Rashad. Maybe he needs to sit down with the, you know, sports psychologist or, or maybe there is a change in coaching staff. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe he, you know, I listen, this is just me spitballing ideas, but maybe he goes back to Greg Jackson and says, Hey, you know, would you, would you consider, you know, working with me for one more fight or something like that? I don't know the answer, but I'm okay with him fighting again, mostly because like I said, he's not an old guy. He's not taking a ton down. If he was out there eating, you know, 200 shots a night, uh, and, and getting knocked out or even just eating 200 shots a night and just getting bludgeoned and just somehow surviving, I would say, you know what, 
rest your brain, walk away. But uh, that's not the case. He's just he just he's not pulling the trigger, and I think that's that's a psychological thing more than a physical thing. I think the physical tools are still there. He's just he's just somehow not putting it together on fight night. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, let's move on to a couple more of the fights on this card. Um, I suppose the undercard had a lot of good finishes. A very impressive Haniaya getting the Kimura there against Henry Briones. Dustin Ortiz had a 15 second KO of Hector Sandoval. Uh, Jack Romanson won well as against Bradley Scott. You know, was that was always kind of going to be either Hermanson early or he could slow down a bit and Scott might come late uh, Jordan Rinaldi as well very good there Justin Morales um, you know Nico Price as well uh, getting the, the win over uh, over Alain Joban um, let's get to the, the top two two fights how, how did you score the Alexa Grasso Randa Marcus fight you know that was the tough fight to score. Uh, I actually, sitting there watching it the night of, I had a 29-28 for Marcos, but then re-watching it on, on Sunday because I was kind of torn because, you know, you know when, you, when it's fight night, you're on Twitter, you're, you know, you're kind of half watching the fight. Oh, you're watching the fight, but, you know, it's like, you know, just that moment of, like, the adrenaline. And when you actually get the chance to go back and kind of analyze it and watch it, you know, from a new light of a new day, I, I could see it being 29-28 for girls. Also, so I didn't have a problem with the decision. It was a close fight, and I think that's one of those fights where you can't really you can't really complain about who wins because it was that close. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think there isn't really much to say about this. I, I think it was it, it was really really close. Um, I, I like Marcos a little bit more. I had twenty nine twenty eight as well. I just think you know because of the power, because of the couple of takedowns she got. Um, she was. I think she was hitting with a heavier clip than than uh, than Grasso was, and w- what I mean there is uh, hitting with a more powerful shots but Grasso I think both improved from their last fights I'm, I'm a big fan of Randa Marcus I think she's just so good all around and I think she's improving all the time you know we saw her even against a lot of people listening to this podcast you know Ashling Daly you know she's very good in that and Ashling is you know not an easy out for anyone definitely with with the amount of experience she's had but coming in here against Alexa, Alexa Grasso as well who's undefeated in Mexico you know in her home uh, her home country was was a you know a tough fight but I did think she won. I, I like she's talking about um, <clears throat> uh, complaining about the decision, uh, or sorry, um, you know, go, going to the commission try to get the decision overturned. I don't think there's any point in doing that. I think it was it was that close. But yeah, Grasso had definitely improved as well from her last outing, and I think you know if she she needs to just up her output. You know, she's not a, a knockout artist as such. I think what she needs to do is up the output, keep up on it all the time. She missed weight, obviously, here as well. I believe she she was sick or something coming into it. Uh, I, I don't think 125 pounds is going to be her weight. I think probably uh, 115 is going to be her future. But, um, yeah, it, it was a good fight anyway. All right, let's move on to, to the main event. Uh, Sergio Pettis against Brandon Marino. Listen, I, I had this one uh, for Pettis. There was a bit of, you know, a couple of people saying it could have been a draw. Um, but I, I don't think it was. I, th- I think Moreno obviously won the first. I had a 10-9. A lot of people were scoring it uh, 10-8. I think uh, definitely Bardline. I have no problem with a 10-8. I think the fifth round, I think Pettis won that as well. Uh, people were saying Moreno. I think that was definitely the closest round, but I, I, I think Pettis landed more. He got those up kicks as well. I think Moreno's uh, takedowns were good, but he didn't really score from And I think Pettis won all the rounds uh, in between. Did you score the same way or how, how did you have it? Yeah, I scored it for Pettis, and I'm actually with you on that 10-9 first round. I mean, I, I understood the argument for a 10-8 first round, but the problem was is that for all, you know, he took his back, but at no point was Sergio ever really in, in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he defended very, very well. He got taken down, and he, you know, he gave up his back, but, you know, Sergio was always defending, and I'm, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in positional control, uh, but you also have to understand how that's going to be scored. It's like a takedown. You know, when you score a takedown, that's just a change of position. You have to do something with that takedown for it to really count as offensive damage. And 
And so taking his back is a more dominant position, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing anything. I mean, you can be mounted on a fighter, and if you're not actually throwing punches or, or trying to finish the fight, you're just laying there, there's not really damage being landed. And in that situation, Brandon was going for chokes, but at no point was Sergio really in trouble. He was he just gave up his back and, and, and couldn't fight his way free, but he was never really in danger. So I didn't think that was the 10 8 round myself either uh, otherwise I, I scored you know i basically scored the rest of the fight for sergio i think 49 46 you could say 48 47 based on that fifth round because the fifth round was kind of lacking a little bit didn't really have a ton of action and it was pretty even uh but i actually had a 49 46 for sergio pettis giving him rounds two three four and five and then obviously giving him Moreno round one yeah, I agree with that 100%. Like, I think uh, Sergio Perez has improved an awful lot. I mentioned at the time, I think he's a little bit more like Anthony down now than he was. And for him fighting at a lower weight, I think that's good because he adds the kind of the output to that as well. You know, he's never going to be as fast as someone like a Demetrius Johnson or other guys in that division, I don't think. But what he what he's good at is, you know, being slick, landing, you know, with precision and a little bit more power than a lot of people. You know, I don't think he's a knockout artist either, but he's striking his so good well you know he's striking it is good to a point where he's very good defensively i think and i think that's an underrated part of his game and when he can keep that up he, he can land offense because he's so precise and quick with his hands as well whereas you know maybe not as quick with his feet and other things moving around as the likes of mighty mouse another thing as well is i, I think that both pettis brothers and sir this is a little bit where sergio needs to improve i think his takedown defense especially, but on the ground, they're both very, very good. I, I've criticized Anthony before for, you know, being, he's, you know, too happy to play certain games where he'll stay against defense or he'll stay on the ground and maybe look for t- uh, submissions and stuff where he, sh- when, when he probably should be getting up and trying to play his striking game. Now, Anthony is, as well, he's more some submission wins in the UFC than he has knockout wins. So he's very good. I think Pettis, or Sergio is very good as well with, with submissions. And if it, we saw defensively at the weekend, as you were mentioning there, especially in the first round, it, it was really, he was defending easily against Moreno. It didn't look close to finishing him really at any stage. And Moreno is one of, you know, one of the most dangerous uh, submission artists in, in, you know, definitely in that division in the UFC, you know, there's a lot of guys in front of him, but he's definitely up there. So I, I was very, very impressed with Sergio Perez. I think what is he only 22, 23, he's going to be improving an awful lot. And, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely a, a big win for him. But, um, right, let's, let's move on to a couple more questions. Nick, you'll there. there. Uh, and you might be able to speak on this, uh, um, Damon. If you had to guess, what do you think the December 30th uh, main event could be? Uh, you know, my guess right now, and, and again, this is just a guess because I know nothing has been confirmed or anything, but I think the fight that would make the most sense to headline on that card would be John Jones against Alexander Gustafson. Um, it's a big match. It's a big rematch. It's a big fight. Uh, obviously, John, you know, got a, a ton of pay-per-view buys for his fight with uh, with DC. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of hype around him and, and Gustafson in a rematch, considering Gustafson pushed him further than anyone else has done. And, uh, and that's still a very, very big fight. And it gets John Jones back in the cage one more time this year before he kind of turns his attention towards a Brock Lesnar fight in 20, uh, in 2018. So I think that's probably the safest bet because I think most of the other big fights – will be done by then. I think Cody and TJ will get scheduled. I know the UFC wants it on UFC 216 in uh, in October, and obviously uh, I know uh, Cody has said he wants to fight at MSG at UFC 217, so that's not a done deal. They're going to fight, but we just don't know where it's going to happen. Uh, I know Joanna has been rumored to fight you know, coming up. I know she really wants to fight at MSG. 
PSG as well. Uh, not everyone will get on that UFC 217 card. Someone's going to get shoved off somewhere else. But I imagine they want to get that fight booked before December. Uh, so, yeah, I, I you know, and obviously you got Jose Aldo coming back at some point this year. You got Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar going to happen at some point this year, most likely, uh, or, you know, unless something dramatically changes. Um, so, yeah, I think I think John Jones and Gustafson's probably the best bet. Yeah, just looking at the the rankings here, a lot of the champions, you know, obviously Demetrius is fighting coming up. As you said, Cody Garbrandt's going to be fighting coming up. Max Holloway has to be, you know, has to be matched. Conor McGregor could be even back, you know, and that could be uh, could be a shout if if he's coming back. You know, Dana White has talked about him fighting again before the end of the year. That'll be a huge card. Maybe, maybe there, you know, Tyron Woodley, we don't know. Is he injured? Is he going to be out? That he could be one. Obviously, Michael Bisping is going to be fighting GSP in uh, in New York. John Jones, then like everywhere, Stipe. A Stipe fight is coming up. There's talks about Kane, but that, that isn't confirmed. Nothing, nothing yet. Actually, funny enough, I talked to Stipe this morning for an interview, and uh, we, you know, he he doesn't have anything booked right now. He's just waiting on on what's going to come next for him. Obviously, he's interested in those boxing matches as well, uh, but nothing confirmed with him right now. He's just kind of waiting on the UFC to make their move, but uh, but nothing confirmed for Stipe yet. Yeah, and then I suppose Joanna as well, Amanda Nunes, and Cyborg, I, I suppose, could be an outside bet uh, for that one as well. But yeah, there's, I suppose there's a lot of options for that one. All right, next question here from um, Brian O'Halloran, uh, kind of on the same thing uh, over on Facebook. What's next for DC and Jimmy, and, and do you think that that fight makes sense? To be honest, I, I do. I, you know, I think it makes perfect sense. Obviously, both of them coming off of a loss on the same card. There's that bit of rivalry there. Um, you know, there's a lot of heat between the two of them on Twitter. And, uh, you know, Jimmy has been kind of going after DC for a while. You know, it might not be the best stylistic matchup for for Jimmy Manoa. You know, good good way of getting DC back in the win column, in my opinion. But uh, what do you think of that one? Do you, uh, like, I know Butter has said before in the podcast a couple of weeks ago that, you know, if DC lost, which he did, that it, it could be retirement for him. You know, he's not left to prove one the title, lost to John Jones twice. Do you think that could be an option? Or do you think uh, Jimmy Manoa could be an option for him as well? I think I, I agree with I agree with Botter in, in terms of I don't you know if Daniel Cormier retired I wouldn't be shocked let's put it that way mm-hmm. you know the John Jones fight everything was riding on that fight and and from my conversations with DC you know, he was basically saying I want to fight John Jones once and then fight him again later this year and that would you know kind of put a bow on his legacy and so with that being said it kind of one makes me wonder if he lost then you know where's the other side go does he really have interest in, in keep going because daniel's in this to be a champion daniel wanted to be in this to become the best fighter in the world uh the only the only solace he could take and I, i'm not this is not me saying you know john you know he wants to play you know he wants to play for second place but if he does keep fighting i think jimmy manoa is the fight that makes the most sense you know jimmy's coming off a loss daniel's coming off a loss they both had some real heat going into into their last respective fights and and like I said, I don't want to make it sound like I'm thinking DC is playing for second place. But, you know, if Gustafson, you know, can come out there and pull off the upset and beat John Jones, then, you know, Daniel could say, hey, I have a win over Gustafson. Let's do that rematch. And that might be a way, you know, that might be a way for him to earn a third fight with John Jones somehow down the road. That's, again, that's, that's a lot of down the road kind of thinking, especially a Daniel being 38 going on 39. So, I think if he if he fights again, Manawa makes the most sense. But I'll I'll be honest, I wouldn't be shocked if he just decides to focus on his TV career, coaching, wrestling, and and kind of move into the next stage of his uh, of his career. Yeah, it took a pretty heavy knockout too. I know. I think I do think he will come back. I don't know. I just kind of have a feeling. I think it will be in Jimmy, but maybe not. Uh, uh, you know, at the end of the year. Uh, next question there from Andy Stevenson at Andy Steve One Two Three. What are your thoughts on the cast and crew for Tough? Big fan of Roxanne Maddie Ferry back in there. Yeah. I'll just read out, I have him here, and someone put up, uh, I'm actually not sure who it is, but 
put up a, a graphic with with their results and things. It's not the strongest tough crew ever. Uh, let me let me just read this out. We've Ariel Beck, who's four and four. Dan Bin, uh, Dan Bennett, who's eight and three, lost her last three fights. You've Shana, Shana Dobson, um, Melinda Fabian, uh, Soraya Eubanks, uh, Barb Honchak, obviously who is ten and two but hasn't fought in the last three years. Uh, a few more names there like uh, uh, Lauren Murphy, who's obviously in the UFC nine and three. Roxanne Medeferi, who we all know, of, you know, very um, very experienced and a few more like that what, what do you think of of this season there's obviously a few big names in there going to be uh there's going to be a title decided uh with, with this one yeah it's interesting because i i love the concept i mean I, I listen i think the ultimate fighter has kind of played out a little bit in terms of its relevancy but when you do seasons like this or you do the seasons like they had with um uh, with uh, with uh, Demetrius Johnson, where you're you know kind of finding him a you know, you're finding him an opponent. Those are fun seasons. The comeback season was fun. They're trying to do different things. Is my point to make it fun. Um, so I like the concept, but I'll be honest, the cast list was a little surprising. It wasn't the strongest list of 125 pound fighters in the world. Uh, a lot of people on there on losing streaks with you know really kind of odd records. I think I saw some people with like three and two records and three and three records. And it was just really odd. Now there's some good fighters in there. Lauren Murphy's good. Roxanne Motiferi's great. Uh, obviously, you know, Barb Honchak's a former champion, but it seemed like they missed the boat on adding a few more names. Maybe it's because there were people who didn't want to do the ultimate fighter. They didn't want to be stuck in that house for six weeks. Maybe that was the case. I mean, they're missing out on, you know, Jessica, I, who was, you know, maybe the best 125 pound fighter in the world when she came to the UFC and moved to 135. uh, you know, Lee's a name, uh, you know. I don't. It was just a weird list of, of fighters compared to who I thought may have made the show. But uh, but at the same time, like I said, you know, it's still a fun concept, and I'll definitely be watching. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, question here from uh, D William over on uh, on the emails uh, severemepod at gmail dot com. Who do you think is the best fighter outside of UFC? We actually had the same question from someone else. Uh, obviously, not in, not in the UFC in Bellator. He says. I'm trying to think now at the moment. Who do you think? Obviously, Ben Ashcran is a name that could be in, you know, in with that. Um, a couple of guys, obviously, you know, Bama have a lot of uh, good fighters. Cage Warriors, Carl uh, uh, Moore's over there. You know, who, have you any names sticking out for you? Hmm, best fighter outside the UFC and Bellator. That's a yeah. tough one because a lot of the guys who were who I would have said, you know, guys like Justin Gaethje or Marlon Marias are now in the UFC. They left, you know, they left a world series of fighting professional fighters league. I mean, I think, I think the easy answer is Ben Askren because I think Ben Askren is probably one of the best, you know, five or six welterweights in the world. And I think he would, you know, present a lot of problems for even the top level welterweights in Bellator and or the UFC. Uh, you know, there are going to be tough matchups for him. I think you know, guys like Tyron Woodley, who's his teammate, of course, but, uh, you know, guys like Tyron Woodley or, or you know, uh, you know, certain guys like that would probably give him some issues just because of the style they fight, maybe a Rory McDonald as well. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think Ben Askren's got to be that guy. I don't also really like and i'm not gonna say he's the best fighter outside the ufc or bellator but a guy that i don't think gets nearly enough attention who i think is outstanding is andre harrison who fights out of professional fighters league he's undefeated he has a win over lance palmer he's a really really high level guy he just doesn't have that kind of exciting knockout or big submission style he just you kind of goes out there and beats guys and 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 finds a way to win fights you know 49 46 48 47 so it's not blowouts but i think he's a really really talented guy and i think he deserves a little bit more attention than what he gets yeah, and next question here actually might might uh, have the answer to our last question. Farrell Conley asks about Mamed Khalidov, who obviously is KSW, you know, 
beating everyone around the place over in uh, over in uh, Poland. But there's a lot of rumors that he could be fighting um, uh, Lyoto Machida and he's come back fight. Have you heard anything about that? What, what would you think of that fight if it was to go down? Yeah, I heard rumors about that, that he was offered the fight, but but I don't know whether or not it's actually going to happen. I mean, he's a he's a pretty well known guy in KSW over in Poland. I mean, they pay him really well, so I imagine the UFC would have to uh, would have to foot a pretty expensive bill to get him. And I think that may end up you know being why he doesn't come to the UFC because as well known as he is to the hardcore fans and to the international audience, uh, ask any average UFC fan if they've ever heard of you know Magomed Khalidov, and they would say who. Uh, so, you know, it's a tough guy. I'd like to see it. I mean, he's a super talented guy, and there were rumors years ago that he was going to come to the UFC. I remember, I think I interviewed him. God, this is going back like seven or eight years ago where there was like rumors of him coming over, and, uh, and you know, it never, never ended up happening because, you know, KSW was paying him so well. Why would he leave? So I hope it happens. I'd love to see him take the challenge. Machida sounds like a hell of a fun fight, but I don't know, man. I think, he, I think he's going to have a real expensive bill, and I'm not sure the UFC is going to want to pay it. Yeah, I think that's definitely the crux of it as well. He would have signed for UFC a long time ago, but I think they're not willing to pay him as much as, as KSW uh, pay him. Then uh, uh, yeah, we usually have a, a, a soccer chat here on the podcast every week. We have about 10 questions about it. Do you have any interest in soccer? Who do you support? Uh, Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so international, I'll be honest. International soccer, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big World Cup guy. When the World Cup comes around, I love watching the World Cup, but I'm a local guy, so I'm a big Columbus Crew supporter here in the United States. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I'm friends with Frankie Hayduke, who used to play on the U.S. national team, and uh, he's like a, a big supporter of the Columbus Crew here in Ohio. So I, li- I love the Columbus Crew as far as MLS goes, but I'll be honest, I don't watch a ton of international soccer until it comes up to the World Cup uh, when I think everyone watches and everyone kind of becomes a soccer fan. So Columbus Crew all the way. I'm a big Crew fan, big Crew supporter, but, uh, but I'll I'll be honest. My knowledge on international soccer is a bit limited. What, what's your English team, though? You ha- this is an important question. You have to pick one. Oh God, you put me on the spot here. Um, you know what? It's funny. I, I grew up in baseball. I grew up as a Yankees fan. I was always a New York Yankees fan. People hated that because they were always the team that spent the most money and just kind of bought players. But I always loved the Yankees. So I guess in that realm, I have to say Manchester United. Yes, that's good by me. I'm a Man United fan as well, so we'll we'll stick to that. You know, Jeremy is a, an Everton fan. Graham usually does a podcast with me. He's a Liverpool fan, so they're just terrible. So it's good. At least we have two Man United fans here now. Uh, yeah. Patrick, Patrick Sheehan asked uh, about GSP. Or sorry, about Tyron Woodley. With GSP now out of the picture, who do you think could be next for, uh, for Tyron Woodley? We, we myself and Bother talked about it last week. You know, Patrick even mentions Lawler here. I'm not 100% sure if that fight's going to happen. Do you, do you have any, uh, any inklings who it could be? Well, you know, right now I think one is going to be Tyron's, you know, shoulder injury. It's, you know, the, the torn labrum he suffered is whether or not he's going to end up, you know, needing surgery or taking some severe time off. If he ends up being out for six or eight months, then I think, you know, you get you get a chance to have the welterweight division play out a little bit. Robbie Lawler gets another fight. I think, you know, Jorge Masvidal and Wonderboy would be a really fun fight. Uh, but if, if Tyron's not injured, I think Lawler is probably the guy who would get the shot because, you know, obviously they have history. They're former teammates. He's a former champion. But I would also love to see the Jorge Masvidal fight. I think that would be really fun. I know Jorge's coming off a loss, but there's a story there. They're both teammates. They train together, uh, you know, they, you know, and, and Jorge is kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy when he's hyping a fight. So I'd like to see that. But I think Lawler, if, 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 if Woodley comes back, this year or within six months, I think it ends up being uh, Lawler. If it's a delay, if it's shoulder surgery, things like that, then I think they kind of let things play out a little bit. Let Robbie get another fight. Let Masvidal get another fight. And the one who looks best out of them gets the title shot. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that could be a good option. So, you know, it's tough. It's, some of these divisions, when they're actually stronger, there's so many guys actually beating each other that, a, a, you know, a clear contender doesn't really emerge. Like, I, I was on Submission Radio there a couple of weeks ago. I know you're a big fan of those lads as well. And they asked me, you know, about Gunnar Nelson after he lost. And I was like, you know, Gunnar Nelson has beaten some of the guys that, you know, could beat Ponzinibbio or, you know, you know, even beat the likes of Lawler or Woodley and, and he's lost to guys who maybe wouldn't. And, you know, it's one of those. It's just a weird division who kind of, you know, I think the talent is so good that guys are just beating each other kind of left, right and center. And it's hard. You have to be so good, you know, to get to get on a roll, to get a title shot. And even look at Damian Maia, you know, what did he win? Was it seven fights in a row? And then he lost in, you know, just got pretty much destroyed by, by Tyron Woodley in a, you know, over five rounds. So, you know, it's a tough one. You know, Dana White mentioned Lawler. Could be, you know, someone could could emerge from the pack if Ponzinibbio takes another fight, as you say. I said there, you know, Woodley is injured, could be out for a while. Um, you know, that that could be another option there. But, um, yeah, let, two, two or three more here before, before we end. Colin Ward asks, at loud 57, do you ever see McGregor being in the run of, run of the mill fight again, like defending against someone like a Kiesa or something like that with, with no heat? I don't think so. I think Connor's past those days. I think at this point, it's all about super fights with Connor. And that doesn't mean he can't have fights against Tony Ferguson or Khabib Nurmagomedov because those are still big fights with big names. But uh, I don't think so. I think his days of fighting Dennis Seaver are done. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be very tough. As I said, it's, it, you know, if he's coming back, it's probably going to be big fights and big paydays. Last question, El Jefe at Wally Frogmore. Um, next four weeks with no UFC, no big cards. Well, we obviously have one big card, maybe, maybe with a McGregor, but what will you be doing with your weekends? What's he supposed to do with these weekends when, when there's uh, these no big, uh, no big fights on him? Well, you know what? The funny thing is, is there's always MMA happening. And, and you know, between UFC Fight Pass and, and, and Flow Combat, some of the other places that stream fights, this is, it's, you know, it's, it's weird. I say this to fighters all the time. Fighters so rarely get time off between camps when they're not preparing for the next fight. So when they actually get a little downtime, fighters will say, it gives me a chance to actually add some new tools and kind of, you know, kind of, you know, add to the arsenal a little bit. Because, you know, usually when you're just going from fight camp to fight camp, you're just trying to stay in shape, trying to stay ready, trying to stay on point. And you're not really adding new weapons because you don't want to screw something up as you get ready for a fight. So when they have, you know, maybe three months off, they get a chance to like, hey, let's work on this. Uh, let's work on this new combination. Let's work on, you know, maybe I can switch to southpaw stance. Let's work on these takedowns, things like that that they may not get in a training camp. So this is the time you get three weeks off or at least, you know, three weeks until McGregor Mayweather. Uh, go out and discover some new talent. Watch some of these other promotions out there. See if you can find the next star. We're talking about the best fighter outside of UFC or Bellator, see if you can find the next great fighter out of UFC or Bellator and be that guy talking about them on social media. So a year or two years from now, when they make it to the UFC, you can sit there and say, hey, look, I called it. I said two years ago this guy was going to be a star because I'm sure there are people who said that about Connor. There are people who said that about John Jones. Be that guy. Go find that fighter. There's plenty of footage out there. Find that guy that you believe is going to be the next one, and then you can be the one telling all your buddies, hey, I picked this guy out of nowhere. I like that. Well said. Uh, Cage Wires and, and uh, Bama and Legacy and all those guys, they'll be coming in looking for you to, to hype them up. I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know, putting them over there. David, thanks very much for joining me. Anything you want to you want to pip out before you go? Any articles coming out? Your Twitter, your Instagram, all that stuff. Let, let the people know. Oh, well, I definitely appreciate the chance to co It was a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again sometime. Uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Damon Martin. Uh, 
Uh, all this stuff coming out actually later today. Uh, I'm not sure when the podcast is going to run, but later today I will have a, a feature on Steve Miocic addressing the John Jones situation after John Jones, you know, kind of said he wasn't interested in fighting Steve. Uh, I asked Steve about that and, uh, and Steve responds. So, so look forward to that it's going to be on flow combat uh, later today. So, so keep an eye out for that one. And, uh, and always, you know, there's always more stuff coming as the week goes on. So just follow me on Twitter at Damon Martin. Nice. Looking forward to that. You can follow me as well at Sean Sheehan BA. Uh, shout out again to uh, John Sheehan over there at John Sports Sports Reds. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram, John sportsreds.com you know, go over there, buy his illustrations. He always has good, uh, good offers coming up and stuff. If you're a Man United fan, Liverpool fan, if you're a fan of MMA, all that good stuff, he's all, all that. Go over and, uh, and check him out. Follow at Severe MMA Pod as well. Send us in your questions uh, for next week. SevereMMAPod at gmail.com. Follow at Severe MMA as well. That's it. That's it for another week. Before we go, though, like every week, 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 week here comes the uh, inspirational quote. Listen without offending. Speak without offending. We'll see you next Tuesday.